At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, yesterday for us, or the latest episode for you listeners, I was joined by Carrie Harris, Tristan Palmgren, Hussein Rashid, Noelle Reed, and Justin Wilder to review the pre-history of Magneto, 60 years worth of retcons that get placed before X-Men number one. Uh, and I'm going to review a little bit here. We'll do it very briefly, but go back and listen if you haven't. It was a really insightful, powerful discussion. Uh, a little focused, a little intense, but I learned a lot even after all the prep. So here's an over, overly simplified recap. Max Eisenhart lost his entire family to the Nazis, which was the political party in Germany responsible for the deaths of millions in concentration camps, etc. Max changed his name to Eric Lenscher, though he often just went by a Magnus. He married Magda and they had their daughter Anya. Anya was lost in a fire due to mob violence and Magda fled when Magnus's powers activated and he killed the mob that was attacking them. Magnus spent years trying to help other people. He befriended Charles Xavier, both learning that the other was a mutant, Xavier, of course, being a powerful telepath. Uh, when the Nazis and Hydra rose to power, Magnus changed and spent time, instead of trying to seek peace, he started hunting down former Nazis and started embracing his power and his status as a mutant, though it's theorized by Maura McTaggart, we'll talk more about this today, that that power drove him a little crazy back at the beginning. Uh, she's a little crazy too. <laughs> he got a costume, started calling himself Magneto, gave himself a couple headquarters like Island M and a floating asteroid, Asteroid M. And then he used that, utilized the uh, alien Astra to begin gathering alien technology. At a certain point, Moira and McTaggart approached with Charles Xavier and they revealed telepathic to, telepathically to Magneto that there's been a series of alternate timelines that Moira lived in in which mutants had been wiped out and exterminated or put in concentration camps by both humans and sentinels, uh, which seemed to have put Magneto in some sort of crisis mode <laughs> and he went mad a little bit. We're gonna talk about a lot of his crazy today. Uh, Magneto initially allied with Xavier and Moira making long-term plans for mutant survival. Eventually that turned into the Krakoan era that we're seeing today, but he had a falling out with it, Xavier who wanted to peacefully coexist with mutant or with humans while Magneto wanted to rule humans, uh, have mutants rise to the top with himself as their ruler, at least how that's how he saw it back at the beginning. Uh, he recruited Mastermind, then he saved Toad and later Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch from mob violence from humans and formed the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, we theorized yesterday the word evil being chose to strike fear into human hearts and just kind of embrace what uh, was being tossed at him. Uh, also, years back, he fathered a daughter, Lorna Dane, who becomes Polaris over time. She has a similar power set. So lots of continuity. <laughs> we're 
that we're just wrapping up in a few paragraphs. And that leads us all up to uh, X-Men number one. Now, we are thrilled to be joined by a, an esteemed and professional panel of incredible guests today. Carrie couldn't make it back with us, but we are thrilled to welcome back Anthony Oliveira, one of my Hello. favorite people. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> How's it going? So good. It's nice to have you here. Uh, let's have everybody introduce themselves quickly. Let us know your name, your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. Uh, and then tell us the question as you're introducing yourself today. Are there any villains you find as compelling as Magneto? Uh, Anthony and then Hussein. Oh, boy. Uh, Anthony Oliveira. Uh, any pronoun is fine. Um, listeners to this might know me because I've done some Marvel work. Uh, I've had the the great fortune of having written this character very briefly in the most recent uh, Marvel Pride issue last year. Uh, what am I forgetting? Oh, sympathetic villains. I mean, a, a villain only works to me if they're sympathetic. I've been doing a lot of noir movies for a, a different project lately. Um, and a lot of those rule, like Norma Desmond is pretty sympathetic. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, I was, I was a big Phantom of the Opera kid. Uh, that kid, that guy killed a lot of people, but you, you got to cry a little at the end. So I, I think so. I think, I think a good sympathetic villain is my bread and butter, actually. The same. Thank you, Chad. Uh, nice to uh, be on with everybody again. My name is Hussein Rashid, he, him, from New York on uh, land that's traditionally held by the Lenape people. Uh, I am uh, uh, an academic, a researcher who focuses on religion and pop culture. Uh, I have co-edited a book with Jessica Baldanzi, uh, Miss Marvel's America, No Normal, uh, which is uh, hyper-relevant at the moment with the, with the trailer dropping the new TV show. Um, I don't know if I consider Magneto enough of a villain to find him to be a villain. I, I, I'm not convinced he's a villain. Uh, so, so along those lines, I, I think his foil, Charles Xavier, is probably the most complicated villain I can think of as well. Because, uh, you know, for me, Kitty Pride is right. Professor X is a jerk. And uh, I, I don't think we give him enough credit as a villain. I'm calling bias in the jury again. <laughs> we all agree. <laughs> uh, let's have Justin go next and then Noel, please. Hey, everyone. My name is Justin. He, him. I am co-host of the Ex-Wife podcast with my wife. One man's elaborate scheme to get his wife into X-Men comics that's working. And a villain that I thought of who I think is a little uh, more on the sympathetic side, Kurt Connors, the, the lizard, who was really just trying to make himself whole again and then tried to share that with other people is putting it lightly. And Noel, although I already know your villain answer. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So I'm Noel, she, her, I host the X-Men Unraveled podcast. And I, so very similar to Hussein, I don't know that I think of Magneto as a villain. And I also don't know that I think of Mystique as a villain. So I, I love that you never know who she's going to be supporting because at the end of the day, Mystique is out for herself. And I think that makes her a really interesting character. Um, the other one is Mr. Sinister because he starts out so problematic, but the way that he's developed as a character makes him sympathetic to me, at least because I just like him. And finally, Tristan. Hello, I'm Tristan Palmgren. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I write prose novels for Marvel and Actonite books. Uh, my books out right now are about 
um, Domino and her fellow mutant outlaw. And I have another book uh, about the new mutants and um, uh, and Squirrel Girl coming out uh, this spring and summer, respectively, um, within three months of each other. So I have, I've been a little busy. Um, favorite villains, I've always had a real soft spot for Golem. Um, but in general, any series um, like uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, um, and especially like Batman, uh, the animated series where the um, the narrative, the, um, the the hero care the uh, protagonist character will spend a great deal of time trying to get to understand and sympathize uh, with the uh, with their antagonist and just sit down with them and ha and have a heart a, uh, a heart to heart is uh, just strikes strikes at the core of me it cuts me to the quick um, so I could get I could give me time and I, I could give you a hundred uh, other answers for this. Uh, my answers, although I'm primarily an X-Men fan, Emma Frost, of course, hits that list. I think she steps into the villain territory. Uh, Catwoman is on that list for me, too. She's someone that I find myself rooting for. I love a good villain, but I don't sympathize with most villains. I think I just like them being dark and evil, right? Uh, uh, but uh, it's fun to find sympathy for them. Now, Magneto, as we talked about yesterday, was one of many 60s villains who was a ranting, crazy madman who wanted to just conquer the planet all the time and did crazy science and set off nuclear bombs and, you know, whatever he needed to win the day. Uh, lots of lots of crazy stories in the 60s and 70s. And as we recounted, which we'll do briefly here, Chris Claremont took this character in the mid 70s and added this backstory, which allowed us to see the character very differently. He became an integral part of the X-Men rather than just the guy they fought. Uh, even back in the 60s, though, we see a narrative consistently of Magneto trying to fight for mutant supremacy or mutant survival, depending on how you put it. Uh, we focused a lot on that yesterday. We're not going to touch on it too much today because we covered most of the psychology. But before we get into the trial, which is today going to cover everything pre-Claremont. So we're going to take all the stuff Claremont took and uh, and then added things later. So uh, for anyone who is, uh, who is a long-term Magneto fan, I think most people know him from the cartoons and the movies or maybe the Claremont comics. No, <laughs> not many people have read the old crazy Magneto stuff. If they have, it's the early appearances in the X-Men and not most of the stuff that we're going to cover today. So this should be enlightening and informative to many. Let's talk about Magneto's powers first. And at the end of this little section, I'm going to ask you guys each, what's your or what, what's your favorite thing Magneto's ever done with his powers? What's uh, most impressive or, or most enlightening? So just keep that in mind as we're reading through this. Magneto's considered an Omega-level mutant, one of the most powerful on the planet. He wields complete control over all forms of magnetism, allowing him to manipulate metal in any form and to shape magnetic energy into various forms. This can extend to the entire electromagnetic field that surrounds the planet Earth, which, if manipulated, can cause widespread planetary destruction. Magneto's powers can be small, manipulating paper clips and bullets, or massive, yanking a giant bullet through space with Kitty Pride in it from light years away and bringing her back to Earth. Magneto can force uh, create force fields around himself that will allow him to withstand punches from Hercules, and he can fly himself and these entire fields around him that withstand, uh, excuse me, and he can fly himself and entire teams through the air in one of these force fields. Magneto can fly and shoot rays of magnetic force. He has raised islands off of the ocean floor to the surface. 
He can shut off gravity in localized spaces, and he's been known to manipulate even light and electricity, although I'm not sure that's how magnets work. <laughs> Magneto can even <laughs> affect the iron in human blood, rendering others incapable of moving or moving them like puppets at his will. And he can alter the memories and brains of others and even control their actions. We'll see some of that in today's stories. Magneto can survive in space for a time using these energies, and recently he helped terraform the entire planet of Mars with his powers, manipulating metallic substances at a planetary level to help create life. Despite this vast power, he's also used sometimes mutants to boost his abilities or even mutant growth hormone, a drug to supplement his powers. Magneto's powers seem affected by his own self-confidence and his emotional state, and also by his physical state, meaning he does need sleep and food. He's resistant to telepathy, but he does have a helmet that blocks telepathy completely, and he has an incredibly strong force of will. In earlier appearances, although we haven't seen this since the 60s, so maybe when Moira altered Magneto's uh, DNA after he was a baby, he lost this power, but he used to be able to astrally project himself. He could uh, he could wander this, the earth like a spirit, like Professor X or Doctor Strange can, and, and he could communicate with others telepathically during that time. Magneto also has vast technological resources, including space stations, nuclear bombs, various weapons of mass destruction, and huge stockpiles of missiles. 60s Magneto loves piles of missiles. Magneto is a skilled team leader. He's able to direct other mutants in their abilities. He can speak many languages. He's been a world leader, now in Krakoa, previously in Genosha, and on Avalon as well when they lived in space. He wears a helmet. Oh, I already covered that part. He wears powerful armor that helps protect him from harm. He's also a talented genius level scientist. We don't know quite where that comes from, but we're going to see multiple examples of him giving superpowers to other creatures or even creating life through machines in the issues we'll cover today. Uh, most prominently in the Savage Land Mutates or in that self-evolving alpha character that we're going to close with today. Uh, what do you guys like about Magneto's powers or what's something that he's done that you find very impressive? Uh, I love when he uses his magnetic personality, <laughs> uh, particularly in the uh, some of the older Kirby Stanley stuff where he like looks at you and Kirby gives you a panel of his eyes sparkling and he like suddenly Warren's parents are like, this guy is really cool. Like I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy a metaphor power a lot. <laughs> That's my fave. I wish he would do that more often. I've just always loved his power. I just love how many varieties it comes in. Uh, when thinking of my favorite uses of his power, what sticks out at me is when he took the adamantium from Wolverine Skeleton. While gruesome, it is burned into my mind as one of my first mm -hmm. X-Men comics. Um, and there was also uh, uh, another comic where he rewired sentinels to hunt humans rather than mutants. And I thought that was just really ingenious. I'll, I'll pile on with Justin. I, I think for me, uh, ripping the adamantium out of Wolverine, it was just so well done graphically. Um, I think, though, it sort of highlights all the problems I have with Magneto's powers, which is nobody seems to understand what magnetism is. And adamantium is supposed to be non-ferrous, <laughs> and it's not supposed to be reacting. Otherwise, why didn't Magneto do this years ago? And so, you know, it feels like there's some really cool uses of Magneto doing stuff. I don't know if it's actually a power set or a narrative, you know, convenience, but it's comic. So I guess they're both the same thing. Well, if you, if you expand magnetism to electromagnetism, uh, you can techno your way into anything. Um, 
that that kind that's kind of what stands out to me is not any particular use of his power, but the way he does not use his power, the way he often restrains himself, as in why couldn't he have ripped the adamantium out of Wolverine earlier? And the answer is he, I think he could have, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. He often keeps himself res uh, restrained. He has um, he doesn't uses demonstrated mind control abilities even on uh, even on his worst enemies. Um, he he has these story breaker powers, but he keeps he holds himself back. And I love how, and this is the writers obviously, but how creative he is with his powers. Like he can affect somebody's blood, and then he'll pull an asteroid to make his base. Like he can do these little minuscule things, and then on these giant scales. And I just love that sort of. You really never know what he's capable of. We're going to review a scene today where he makes the Scarlet Witch dance for him, like manipulating <laughs> the iron in her blood. Um, but I remember the scene in, I think it's Uncanny 304, the funeral for Liana, when he lands on Earth and just freezes all of the X-Men. Like he just, he manipulates the iron and no one can move. Uh, or in Colin Bunn's more recent series, uh, the Magneto series, there's one scene I reread. It's God, it's gruesome. He takes a paper clip and straightens it out and he's questioning this woman who's a villain. And he like puts it in her arm and starts driving it up Ugh. her veins. And Ugh. like the farther it goes, the more she screams and reveals information. Then he kills her with it. Like uh, you see these incredibly gruesome, uh, that same series, Magneto number one opens, I think it's on page two with uh, an anti-mutant guy who's had like four street signs shoved through his mouth. And he's like dead in the street with like these street signs uh, that have been propelled through his skull. I mean, it, it, he's incredibly gruesome at times and and other times, as we're saying, shows incredible restraint. Uh, Planet Size X-Men is a beautiful example of his powers um, when they when they go and terraform Mars. Magneto is yeah. so impressive in that issue as well. Uh, he's he's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, you can read thing you can read it as the writers making things up as they go along. On the other hand, you can uh, you can read it as a deep as a part of his character um, that I'm still grappling with. Um, it's just when and how and why he holds himself back. Yeah, I feel like at the end of this trial, we're going to be like, I kind of get Magneto now. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a scene we'll cover today too where he he wants to recruit Namor so he like astrally projects himself to the bottom of the ocean to talk to the Atlanteans and you're like god damn is he like as strong as Professor X here what happened <laughs> it's, it's uh, that's not how magnets work <laughs> maybe he um, thinks he's doing that but it's it's all in the theater of his imagination. <laughs> Uh, now, Magneto has been known by many names over the years. Primarily, uh, Magnus is what we've known him for much of his career, or Eric Lenscher. In Magneto Testament, they reveal his original name is Max Eisenhart. And it, brilliantly, the last name Eisenhart translates to hard as iron, which is a, a really cool origin name for him. Uh, Moira McTaggart once theorized that his powers naturally make him kind of somewhat bipolar, giving him periods of intense mania and narcissism and antisocial behavior. He's a complicated man, like we talked about yesterday, with an individual sense of justice. He sees humans and, frankly, sometimes mutants as collateral. Look at Toad as an example. Uh, he has been a would-be dictator and a would-be conqueror. Uh, he's also a peaceful member of the mutant race at times. He'll kill for revenge, but mostly to further mutant causes as he sees fit. Uh, most complicated, he had a lengthy stint where he allowed himself to be called a messiah, uh, he made the original Brotherhood call him master, right? So we see these periods of extreme uh, self-importance. 
Magneto's been through unspeakable traumas. We reviewed a lot of these last time and saw those revisited when Moira showed him these alternate timelines. Uh, he's seen the Jewish people wiped out by horrible movements of humans, and he spent a lifetime trying to change that reality for mutants, yet the Genosian genocide, uh, the legacy virus and MPOX, which had been designed to kill mutants, the constant reappearance of sentinels, and the murders of so many of his allies have shown him how dangerous and deadly these stakes can be. And frankly, we'll talk about this in a minute, but seeing Professor X react peacefully to these types of things must be maddening for him. Uh, humans continually form groups to hunt down mutants and governments keep passing legislation that requires mutants to register. But for innocent humans, Magneto must seem like the worst villain. Uh, he sees them as collateral. Uh, uh, it's the type of person, perhaps, that, uh, you know, I'm not anti-mutant, but here you are hurting me anyway. Like, we see whole whole groups of people who would never understand. Tell me some of your thoughts a little bit about Magneto's psychology and the variation of it over time. What do you find sympathetic or problematic, or what do you admire? Well, I think the crux of our conversation today uh, is going to come down to Magneto, the person. We spent a lot of time yesterday on Magneto's ideology and beliefs. Um, what, uh, what I am really looking forward to talking about today is the way that uh, Magneto uses those beliefs as, as cover for, th as, um, uh, for things that he, that he wants to do anyway, to, um, to, cover his, to, uh, to cover his rages and to justify and rationalize himself. I um I, I hear what Tristan's saying. I come at it slightly differently. Um, I think it's problematic that Morris trying to give him um mental illness as as a way to explain his actions, right? Like I think there's a lot of trauma there. I think there's a lot of unresolved trauma, and I think that has a lot to do with how he acts out. Um, but I think it also feels like a cheap cop-out and an and and Comics in general are really bad until fairly recently dealing with mental health issues. We've seen this with with Polaris, actually, of, of all characters, right? So there, there is something, um, you know, where you could say that perhaps there is something in the, you know, bipolar disorder we know is is transmitted is is um, a genetic. It's tied to genetics and can be transmitted across generations. Um, so maybe there is something there, but I feel like it's being used as a callback to to not deal with uh magneto's choices i think there's actually a really strong moral core there i think what he has a hard time with is trying to express it consistently but i think you can always come back to the same motivations over and over again um what i find interesting <laughs> dealing with these kind of goofy uh 60s stories is um when you do try to backdate a psychology that could be realistic and that is like really the cool fun thing of working on Magneto is like, okay, he did these things in the sixties and then he became this guy in the late seventies, eighties. What, how do you make those the same guy? And what interests me is um, coming at it from the perspective of like a marginalized community. There is a kind of way um, that I've seen in practice where you one thing that that community can do is overstate and overstake its case in forms that read as radicalism and extremism that kind of give cover for more centrist positions. Like one of the things I find interesting about Magneto is the way that being 
and perhaps even posing as this kind of mustache twirling villain who is raiding missile bases and running something that calls itself the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is that he's kind of shifted the Overton window so far that Xavier's position becomes somewhat reasonable in appearance, whereas it would be the radical position, right? Like a bunch of weird mutants have shown up and someone is saying they deserve equal rights, even though they can do all these things. Well, Magneto produces a kind of um, a polarity that can shift that whole conversation. And I find that really fascinating and interesting that, um, in fact, as an, as I get older, I do find it something that I do as a queer person where I will say, like last night I was introducing a film, uh, a queer uh, film by the Wachowskis. And there was a moment on stage where I was like, I welcomed, I said we would tolerate any straight people who are in the audience, right? And like, there's a laugh, but it it becomes itself a kind of community building gesture because that it creates an in-group and says, well, I'm not as extreme as that guy on stage, but my position now becomes a bit more comfortable. And I think that's really the usefulness of 60s Magneto to me. I always feel like I, because um, I'm very pro Magneto, if you can't tell. <laughs> um, and so I always felt like I had a hard time reconciling, you know, these early years versus the Magneto that I grew to love. Um, and so in my own mind, the way I look at it, you know, in these early years, he has this mission and he has this goal and he has this desire to save mutants, but he's kind of a lost soul and hasn't really figured out how. And the only way he can figure out to do that is to be as extreme as possible and start advocating for mutant supremacy and destroying homo sapiens. And so that's kind of how I rationalize it in my head. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but just like he's kind of a lost soul at this time trying to find his way. Yeah, and and he's always trying to do right for the mutant people, and I feel like that is at the at the core of it. Why I I love him, and it's just he wants the best for them. His methods change in how great they are to achieve that goal, but I, I feel like, especially considering what we talked about yesterday and all of the the traumas that he's gone through and all of the things that have been done to him, that might influence how he sees the world and his apprehensive of the world and what it can do to him and his other groups of people. I think that, oh, I'm sorry, Tristan, go ahead. So I was just going, um, that is the uh, the version of Magneto that exists right now. That is the version that I love. Um, but that is not the version that, that is, that exists on the pages in the, uh, in the 1960s. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to figure out some ways to square those because that, well, we'll get, we'll get into it. One thing I do find interesting is in rereading these and some of these I had never read because they're like Defenders 15 or like Amazing Adventures <laughs> 9. I'm like, I don't know. It's very clear. In fact, that the artist has not read too much because Magneto's costume <laughs> never looks the same. But one I thing I found a, really interesting. I have a whole in, costume gallery ready. <laughs> oh, man. I've never even seen some of these. It was like, what is this chunky belt situation? Uh <laughs> The helmet with it's on like a 60 degree angle, it's wild. But one of the things I found really interesting that I've never really thought about is how often his plan involves making more mutants. Like how often he's building a machine to like create, like clone the War the Worthingtons or create Alpha or however, the, whatever the hell we're supposed to understand that story with Black Bolt, even, Black Bolt even is, right? Like he's constantly, the mutates, right? Like, and now 
and in all these stories, it's like demonic, right? It's like, oh my God, he's done this terrible thing. And now it's one of the laws of Krakoa is make more mutants. So I do find it interesting how often it speaks to something of the desperation of a post-World War II Magneto that his interest is, as often as his interest is sort of this like homo sapiens genocide, it is also very much about we need to uh, bolster our numbers. I find that quite interesting. I think uh, we're going to see, as we're doing the defenses and the prosecutions today, we're going to see a lot of this. And you guys can still use this, but I'm just going to toss it out right at the beginning. Moira recently showed him all these alternate timelines. So he's in crisis mode. We've got to save mutants now before it's too late, right? We've got to stop this now before the humans rise to power, before the Sentinels rise up, because he's seen it happen over and over and he's seen it happen to his people. We also have this idea about his powers making him mad, right? Which which we've talked about a little, and we see that with other characters. Namor is a prime example. In John Burns' run, he's like, "Well, when Namor goes without water too long, that's why he goes crazy." And so we we see these uh, we see these different stories that get told about characters who are who are someone else when their when their powers kick in too hard. Uh, there's no balancing effect. Let's talk a little bit very very briefly here about Magneto's relationships. He surprisingly doesn't have a lot of people he's ever been close to. He had Quicksilver and and, and uh, Wanda, which in the Trial of Magneto series, we see some tender moments between him and Wanda, but they're not his kids anymore, maybe figuratively, but not, not genetically, at least in the current continuity. He's not close with Polaris. We've seen that played out uh, over several comics in the, in the Krakoan era. He used to be a grandfather. There were some surprise, surprisingly tender moments in continuity between he and Luna, but we don't know what's happening there now because, uh, we you know, who just knows? Uh, he's had a lot of romantic relationships, but most of them have been pretty brief trips, trysts. Uh, Susanna, Cassandra Michaels, Lee Forrester, Isabel, uh, briefly Wasp from the Avengers in the uh, Secret Wars, if you remember that. Uh, but his only really serious romantic connections have been with Rogue, which seemed during times of desperation, and Briar Rally, which is a weird kind of dom-sub abuse victim thing <laughs> that doesn't Ugh. make a lot of sense. Worse. Uh, who, should, who should Magneto be with? Uh, who matters to him? Charles Xavier. The end. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I could ask the supplementary question. Why does why does Magneto hate Charles Xavier so much? Uh, it's yeah. I, I feel like it it goes down to the naivety of of what he feels is his approach. The the fact that he just doesn't. He respects his genius. He respects this person. He respects that they are on opposite sides of this need to lead their people. But his insistence of going about it and to just tolerating the aggressive actions from the humans, the the robots, the everything else, it just it, it seems as though he can't be bothered with that. Is absolutely convinced that there's an enormous amount of pain and suffering uh, down uh, down Charles's route, and he is, he cannot understand. He, 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 he I almost think he believes that Charles is, uh, Charles knows that, but doesn't want to face it. In Uncanny One Sixty One, which we reviewed last time, that's the flashback to Gabrielle Haller and all of that. The first time Magneto sees Xavier uses powers is when he's forcing Gabrielle out of her trauma. And then he starts a romantic relationship with Gabrielle, right? Very concerning. Shortly after that, they see Baron Strucker, who's the Nazi, with the Nazis in Hydra. And it's almost as though Magneto's the only one that realizes how serious that threat is. There's another scene in Cullen Bunn's series. They flash back, and we didn't cover this last time. Magneto approaches Xavier at the mansion, uh, 
And he says, you're developing this tool Cerebro, which can be used to track mutants. And do you realize that that may be used against us later? And there, of course, have been times when it is. We see times when he's kind of trying to be reasonable, but it's almost as if if Xavier refuses to listen. Uh, And then later we get their love baby onslaught, of course, (laughs) which is its own story. But it's a pretty complex relationship. And when you frame Magneto in the hero role and Xavier's the villain, it kind of changes the story quite a bit. Uh, but we certainly get most of the history from Xavier's perspective. Uh, any thoughts on that? I think the way you framed it, Chad's really uh, key, right? Xavier's perspective. You see the same thing with Xavier and his relationship with his uh, stepbrother, Kane Marco, right? Juggernaut. Uh, where, you know, there's this whole thing like Kane was abusive and he, he hated his father. And all of a sudden, you know, you hear, you see these stories from Kane's perspective and you're like, no, Charles was an ass when he was a kid, you know, and, and you know, I, I got dumped on as a result because I was trying to protect him. And there's this real sort of, I, I feel like I, I read the history the same way between Max and Charles or Magnus and Charles, which is Charles is pretty consistently an ass. And, you know, Magneto's like, but you being an ass means our people are going to die. Right. And so can you not, can you get your head out of your ass so we can try to save our people? And I don't think he ever comes around to saying, but I'm right. You know, Charles, I don't think ever Charles being wrong is never an option for him. Magneto will use his powers to manipulate others. So will Charles. Magneto will keep secrets from others. So will Charles. Magneto sees humans and allies at times as collateral. So does Charles. Uh, and there's an interesting juxtaposition there, but we paint one as the hero and the other as the villain. Uh, and again, that's that's an interesting piece as we step into the, the trial. Uh, any thoughts there? Go ahead. Um, I think what's interesting to me about the Krakoan period and um, what Jonathan has done in those first few issues is as much as as pleasurable and as fascinating as it is to sort of arrive with the great project having been finished and like, here's Krakoa while you were sleeping, the world changed. Um, There's a scene that is implied as missing when I was sleeping, which is the conversation where Xavier basically must have admitted he has been wrong all this time because Krakoa is many things, uh, but it is not Xavier's dream. It is not the integrationist fantasy, uh, nor is it the school of concealment that was Xavier's school, right? It is much closer to, for example, the Genosian project. It is much closer to even the San Marco project when Magneto took over an island way back when in what, number four? Like, um, and Krakoa has certain fantasies built into it that are not true of the San Marco situation. There is no population being, uh, although that's a, an open question at this point, to what extent Krakoa represents a pre-existent population. But my point is like, At some point, Xavier did capitulate. At some point, he admitted that Magneto, if not, was right, made some valid points. And I would have loved to see that scene. Like, what does that conversation look like? Because it seems to me that the implicit thing Krakoa says is the X-Men have been wrong all these years. It may have been the fifth time Xavier was killed and restored in a clone body. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Fine, I give up. (laughs) And there's a line in one of the issues that 
we had for today. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head because I just remember reading it where Magneto is talking to somebody and threatening them. And he says, my patience is not as limitless as my powers or something along those lines. <laughs> and in a weird way with Charles Xavier, his patience really is limitless because with Krakoa, we're seeing more of Magneto's dream than Xavier's. And yet he kind of put up with him all this time. Is it because of Moira's influence looking back now? Um, but yeah, he's astoundingly patient with Charles Xavier and his consistent undercutting of what Magneto's dream is. So, so last episode, we re uh, we referenced uh, X-Men Unlimited Magneto, excuse me, X-Men Unlimited number two, which is a, a Fabian Nicieza story. Uh, where Magneto is at, uh, at Magda's grave. Two human soldiers are there. He kills one of them to protect his own life. The other is a man named Adrian Eiskald who's going after Magneto for the whole issue and trying to figure out who this guy is, right? So I'm going to read a quote uh, from the words of Adrian Eiskald written by Fabian Nicieza. Tell me your thoughts on this. From abusive genocidal demagogue to tweed-dressed school headmaster and sympathetic spokesman for the mutant cause, how does one predict the actions of an opponent who's so adept at being unpredictable? He started as the antithesis of Charles Xavier. He recruited a band of young mutants who would pursue the achievement of his own dreams, dreams of conquest, dreams of superiority. Time and again, he attempted to force his worldview down the collective throats of this planet's people. Time and again, he was stopped from the depths of the savage land underneath Antarctica to being reverted back to childhood by one of his own creations. From secret bases in the Caribbean of ancient myth and fantasy to principal nursemaid of the children of Xavier's dream, Magneto has found every which way conceivable to advance his own political and genetic agenda. When he finally allowed himself to be placed before a world court, and this is uncanny 200, of course, he was found not guilty of crimes against humanity. And then he started all over again. This time, the next generation of pawns were, ironically enough, his first generation as well, Pietro and Wanda Maximoff, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, the children of Magneto, both of whom had served the cause of humanity as members of X-Factor and the Avengers. When Magneto allegedly perished, he died a failure in the greatest sense of the word, for he was a man unable to make his own children see the justness of his cause, much less a species or an entire planet. How ironic indeed, how did he do it? How could he have come back time and again always with a new method of conquest, one ridiculous attempt after another. And worst of all, how could anyone believe that simply having his asteroid home incinerated while entering Earth's atmosphere could actually kill this man? For God's sake, he was once genetically reverted to infancy and still found a way to regain his adulthood. What makes a man like that continue to believe in himself? How could any man repeatedly fail in his appointed task and still have the sense of self-confidence, the enormity of ego to continue to believe in himself? It either indicates a completely delusional sense of self-worth or the unshakable belief in the correctness of one's ways. Thoughts? Because he was right all along. <laughs> he knows he's popular with audiences and that's always the get out of death free card. Yes, <laughs> well. I think Grant Morrison had him uh, utter a line uh, about how his secondary mutation must be that he always comes back. I think that's actually <laughs> just hinted at as possibly actually canonical. Um, I, 
I think a lot about, uh, I don't know if Americans have read the book St. Urbane's Horseman, but um, it's by uh, Mordecai Richler, who wrote The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. St. Urbane's Horseman is the fantasy of a um, Jewish uh, retribution seeker who's hunting down Nazis all over South America. And there is something of the sort of uh, revanche, the, the, the fantasy of the, the revenant that comes back to get revenge on, for the sins of the past that I think is built into Magneto's architecture as a character, that he must always come back, come back because we cannot be allowed to forget those things that were done in the past. Okay, I think let's start the trial. We have a, a lot of complexities <laughs> being tossed around. I can see all of your the little gerbils in your brains running around in their wheels. <laughs> if you guys were like me last night after the trial, I was still buzzing even after I went to bed, waking up like, oh, wow, that was a lot. Like I'm still processing the thoughts today. So I'm looking forward to this now. Now, the way this is going to play out, we're going to, like our standard jury trials, have each, uh, each of you uh, present prosecutions and defense as assigned in advance. Uh, as we go through this, and then we'll each vote after each section. I've taken uh, Magneto's chronological history pre-Claremont in order, uh, although some of it is retroactive continuity placed in the framework of things after the fact, including one story written by Mr. Anthony Oliveira. Uh, That's me. <laughs> oh, by the way, we had people say their favorite Magneto stories yesterday, and Carrie Harris said yours, and she said to tell you hello. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. That makes me very happy to hear that. <laughs> so when we get to the voting portion of each section, you guys are each going to vote one through five, and this is an inelegant uh, voting scale, but here's basically what it means. Uh, number one, if you vote, means Magneto's Justin's uh, actions were justified for that section. Number two means they were morally concerning. Three, definitely inappropriate. Four, over the line into criminal behavior. And five, pure evil. Take it section by section, and you probably want to take the worst of each space to make your decisions because we're going to cover some ground here. Uh, now, in section one, uh, I'm going to read through his earliest appearances. This is kind of his early brotherhood stuff. And when we get to the end of this, uh, Tristan will be giving us the prosecution and Justin the defense. In X-Men number one, from a secret island base, Magneto causes a powerful military rocket to crash. After messing with the soldiers on the Cape Citadel base, he uses metal filings to write in the sky, surrender Dorothy. I mean, surrender the base or I'll take it by force. Magneto signing his name in cursive. Magneto then walked directly onto the military base, publicly declaring his superiority as he easily defeated the soldiers and their technology. Xavier sent the five teenage X-Men to stop Magneto, who fought back against them savagely before he abandoned his mission, having proven his point. In X-Men number, or excuse me, in X-Men number four, and this is including a little content from Avengers Origins, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch number one. After stealing a ship from the military, Magneto led the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in taking over the country of Santo Marco, a, a country that had called for the killing of mutants, seemingly doing so with Mastermind's illusions and not killing anyone that we know of. Magneto had a telepathic conference with Xavier, reminding him that they were mortal enemies. The X-Men attacked Santo Marco, and Magneto prepared a nuclear bomb to kill them and the humans, reminding the Brotherhood that the humans would kill mutants unless they killed the humans first. But the bomb was deactivated secretly by Quicksilver as the Brotherhood fled. Magneto here had rare moments of softness with Wanda and Pietro, confiding in them about Magda and Anya and his losses, but he would always turn cruel again. In X-Men number five, Magneto moved the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to his asteroid M-Base, 
And he sent them looking for the secret base of the X-Men, although he knew where they were. <laughs> Maybe Xavier erased it. Magneto sent Toad to set a trap for the X-Men. He captured the angel, brought him back to Asteroid M and threatened to torture the boy unless he revealed where Xavier was. The X-Men soon attacked and Magneto set up a series of death traps and then tried to blow up the base to kill the team, but they of course survived. In X-Men number six, moving the Brotherhood to his island base, Island, uh, island M, Magneto became obsessed with recruiting the powerful Submariner, one of the only mutants he seems to respect. Magneto astrally projected himself to Atlantis and mentally manipulated an Atlantean into sending Namor to the surface. There, Magneto was seeking to convince Namor to join them, but the X-Men attacked first, a battle broke out. Magneto turned against Namor and tried to destroy him unsuccessfully, and he nearly abandoned Wanda and Pietro during the fight, noting that he does not rule by loyalty, but by fear. In the end, Magneto and the Brotherhood escaped in a rocket. Uh, in X-Men number eight, after moving the Brotherhood to a mansion base, Magneto tried recruiting the Blob, setting a trap for the team at a warehouse that he owned. He fired missiles at the X-Men, but the heroes triumphed and Magneto rushed away with the Brotherhood, abandoning Blob. Finally, in Journey into Mystery number 109, in an underwater base, Magneto experimented with his powers, call, causing Thor to investigate. Magneto then fought Thor a mutant and tried to recruit him through bribery with wealth and wine, but they, battle, uh, they soon battled uh, Magneto fought back when he realized Thor was not a mutant. He tried setting off a bomb, but he fled when the X-Men closed in. So in these earliest appearances, let me turn it over first to Tristan for the prosecution and then Justin for the defense. Good people of the jury. Uh, this uh, is the... Uh, the best illustration of the argument that I mentioned earlier. We talked a great deal about Magneto's beliefs, uh, his philosophy, um, the way he justifies his actions to himself. I submit to you that he often uses those, uh, his beliefs, um, his, uh, his ideology as cover for, um, for, his, for, um, for things that he, that 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 uh, that his uh, that his that um oh, that he, that he often uses them as cover for things that he wanted to do anyway um that um uh, that he and that he is not a um he is just not a very good person at least not in these initial issues so a couple of key moments i wanted to highlight um in uh, starting out with some of the war crimes, um, including abducting uh, a teenager, uh, Iceman, and then torturing him to try to get him to uh, to reveal the location of, uh, of um, Charles Xavier's school, um, he is his actions um, give lie to uh, to any to uh, anything he says about wanting to protect mutants because in these issues he is certainly not about protecting mutants at all. He will he responds to with lethal force um, to the X Men, uh, even realizing that they're mutants before um, often before talking to them. Uh, he will he. Uh, he, 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 he treats his subordinates as expendable uh, and will abandon them at the slightest, uh, slightest provocation. There's, um, uh, there's a key moment in, um, in one of these issues, uh, I believe it's in X-Men 6 during the fight with Namor when he does not 
give one darn heck if Quicksilver is killed by uh, by collateral damage when he tries to uh, to I believe it's to and that issue it's to set off a bomb um, to to kill the um, the X to uh, kill the X Men and Namor um, put to the test. Um, Put in a place where he actually has an, where he might actually have to make, uh, or where, where he might actually have to make a sacrifice um, for his beliefs or for his ideology. Uh, he just immediately abandons abandons his ideology and throws mutants to the wolves, even mutants who are his subordinates and who, until that point, have served him loyal, uh, have served him loyally. Um, he is also. Uh, in these issues, incredibly cruel and abusive to uh, not only to Toad, but to Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver as well. Um, and there are, in addition, uh, a few lines um, that I pulled out of here that emphasize just how insincerely he, uh, he takes his beliefs in these issues. Um, when he discovers Namor, uh, Two things he says about him is his power may even be the equal of my own, and I must never permit him to challenge my superiority. Highlighting the and I'm highlighting the words there, the equal of my own, and then my superiority. He doesn't even try to rationalize that to himself. He he takes it for given that he is so that he is and will always be superior. And that anything that uh, that question that um, uh, that uh, that challenges this must be utterly destroyed. Um, uh, and as uh, Chad said earlier, he also says um, things like he that he expects no loyalty, that he demands only fear and blind obedience, and that those who do not swear obedience uh, allegiance to him personally must be destroyed his uh, his ideology again as the character is presented in these issues not as we get to know him later is a thin cover for his uh, for his cruelty his rages and his abuses and justin fear it's a powerful motivator it can cause actions based purely on suspicion People and governments of the world have always feared mutants, even before they were given reason to. They've tried to eliminate them, not because they've done wrong, but because they're mutants. They're feared. My fellow jurors, that's what we're talking about today. The structures of power that are aimed to hold mutants back and take from them by force. The ways mutants can stand up for themselves. My client, Max, Max Eisenhart, is a champion for freedom of the mutant people. He is someone who has learned the hard truths of what happens when those in power have an agenda against who you are. Now, when the world first met Max, he acted alone, and we had no idea how alone he truly was. Broken down by decades of oppression and struggle, he had had enough. Some might consider his plans tyrannical, but at their root, he led with nonviolent actions to diffuse the influences of power, a base of ballistic missiles, an island advocating for violence toward mutants? He was not acting out of fear. He was acting in defense of his people. What had happened in the Jewish concentration camps of his youth would never be repeated. A man alone searching for community amongst his kind, he allied himself with other mutants, 
so that they could possibly stand a chance against those who would rather see them dead. He saw those who had success in finding peace for their people and tried to ally himself with their respected leaders, Namor of Atlantis, Thor of Asgard. Magneto is a man willing to die for his cause, and he expects the same from his compatriots. His actions have been shaped by our world's history. Acting from outside our nation's borders, desperately fighting for a better life for Homo superior against Homo sapien oppression. Thank you. And Justin, I just noticed the Magneto dressed in a suit to your left, and it's my favorite. (laughs) I have one for later as well. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, So primarily in the context of uh, what, I mean, commentary is welcome here on these storylines. Anybody who'd like to say anything, but, uh, but consider what information you might need in order to cast your vote today. Uh, So any comments or questions based on this section of Magneto's history? Uh, I was going to note really quickly, there's a scene when he's trying to recruit Namor where he grabs Wanda by the arm and he's like, here, go flirt with him. Like, (laughs) look how beautiful you can have her. Uh, there's also a really concerning scene in uh, X-Men number one, or I'm sorry, X-Men number four, where their method of con- uh, conquering Santo Marco is mastermind conjures uh, the illusion of an army that just looks like Nazis. Uh, and then he raises a flag over the castle with an M on it, like, I rule you now. Uh, so there's some really interesting psychological spaces here. Um, but yeah, beautiful, beautiful prosecution and defense. What do you guys think? possibly blame mastermind for those hallucinations um but at the very least magneto was complicit in them it's one of those things that again gives the light it gives the light to the fact that at least at this stage in the comics he does not actually believe anything that he's saying um I mean, he is I'm, using I'm, them as an ex- as excuses and will abandon them at the slightest provocation, going all the way as far as to uh, to use Nazi symbi- uh, symbology in his pursuit of power, which you, using the institutions of fear that have been created by man to nonviolently disrupt the influence of power of an island nation advocating for killing mutant people. A lot of his actions also seem directed toward like, fuck you, Xavier. I got to get the power before Xavier gets it, which is really interesting to consider as well. Any clarifying thoughts or questions before we vote on this section? So let me repeat the voting scale here. Uh, We have one means justifiable actions, two morally concerning, three definitely inappropriate, four criminal behavior, five pure evil. Uh, And again, conquering of countries, uh, the potential torture of teenagers, and the threat of nuclear annihilation, I think, are among these crimes. You have to decide the justification for those or not. Uh, I do want to point out there was not potential torture. He was tortured on panel. (laughs) Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hussein, go ahead. So, so your honor of question, jury instructions, if we vote three, does he still get off? Uh, he doesn't necessarily get off because we have no power. <laughs> but I think uh, I think he gets off regardless because he exists in a universe that will forever bring him back. <laughs> this uh, is for posterity, for history, for, for this for history. Hussein, how would you vote in this section? Uh, I will go a three simply because of Angel. Okay, Noel. I'm going to say two. Anthony, I I think I'm I'm hovering between a one and a two. <laughs> I don't see a body count. I'm gonna say two. Justin, 
I'm going to go two, you know, morally questionable. Some of the things that he's threatening a little too far. Some of them a little reminiscent of the traumas of his past, but, you know, he's, he's trying. It's a two for me as well. He threatened a lot of things, but it never actually happened. So I'm going to give him a little extra credit there. And Tristan. I've got to go with a five. <laughs> There's not really many excuses for um, for what's for what's going on here. I have I have some theories as to how we could square this with uh, with um, what we know of Magneto later, but I'll save those until uh, until uh, I'm discussing defense for another section. But as we see things on the page here. There's there's no excuse for torturing Iceman for attacking a country for attacking a country using it, uh, Nazi symbiology and and frankly fascist methods and for treating his uh, his subordinate uh, subordinates as cruelly and abusively as he as he does here. Uh, completely fair. I have found as we've done these trials, I've commented on this before. When we did Professor X and the Beast, we were like, ah, fuck that. Man. But when we've done the villains, we're like, oh, they're nice. <laughs> 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 it's an interesting, uh, interesting observation as we do these. But yes, uh, all of the votes are counted. Uh, that gives us, uh, let's see, 11, 13, 16 out of, uh, out of 30 possible points in this section. So let's, uh, let's move forward to section two. And here we will have Anthony on prosecution, Noel on defense. In, uh, now, there's a, a, a story told in modern continuity that's placed retroactively back. And this takes place in X-Men Giant Size, not Giant Size X-Men. X-Men Giant Size number one and X-Men volume three, numbers 12 through 15. Magneto led the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to attack Hammer Industries so he could get more missiles, of course. Uh, they fought the X-Men there, but ran away when an early prototype of the Sentinels attacked. Later, the Evolutionaries, which is an ancient race of godlike beings, approached Xavier and offered to wipe out humanity, but Xavier promised to defend humans. So the evolutionaries approached Magneto instead, saying that if he could unite mutants under his leadership, then they would kill all humans for him. Magneto made plans to recruit the telepath Emma Frost, who at the time was a young girl in a mental institution called the Essex Clinic, so there's Mr. Sinister, so that she could use Xavier's machine Cerebro and summon all mutants, but the X-Men attacked her. Magneto briefly defeated the X-Men, then took Emma to the X-Mansion where she used Cerebro. Magneto connected with the minds of mutants around the world and offered this speech. Mutants, hear me. I am Magneto and I reach out to you now at the dawn of a new era. I have come to lead you into the future, a future free of hate and fear, free of man. The X-Men stopped Magneto and the evolutionaries returned to the Brotherhood to their headquarters, having taken their memories of these events away. Magneto was angrier than ever and had a sense that his Brotherhood would soon disband. In X-Men number 11, uh, Magneto sensed the super powerful stranger and again tried to recruit him, but the stranger turned out to be like a crazy space god and he overwhelmed the mutants with their powers. He pulled Magneto and Toad into space with him and kept them as specimens on his home planet. In X-Men 17 and 18, uh, Magneto escaped from the stranger's planet and abandoned Toad, leaving him there. He immediately attacked the X-Men and sent them into space in a really ineffective death trap. <laughs> then he kidnapped the parents of the angel, Warren and Catherine Worthington, with the intent to use their DNA to build a mutant android army. That's a direct quote, doesn't make sense, but that's what the plot was. In the end, he fights the X-Men, but they summon the stranger who pulls Magneto back into space, abandoning him on the foreign planet again. 
Uh, let's turn it over to uh, Anthony for the prosecution and Noel for the defense. Uh, I just want it registered. I am pursuing prosecution uh, under duress. <laughs> but uh, having reviewed the potential charges against Magneto here, as the prosecution, I think that we must admit we have no case to make with regard to the evolutionaries. Those were evil space monkeys and they were forcing him under duress. So I don't know how to, I mean, you could make the sideshow Bob claim that it's an attempted genocide, but there was no success. (laughs) uh, No body count on this one. However, he did uh, kidnap that girl from the mental institution. Now, the case might be made by my colleague that he actually saved her from a supervillain, but I am not making that case. <laughs> he kidnapped Emma Frost, and <laughs> the fact that she therefore led a much better life as a consequence is not germane to this discussion. <laughs> um, with regards to the stranger case, Uh, Chad mentioned at the top Magneto's many, many bases that he's had over the years. In this story, X-Men number 11, he has my favorite base he ever has, which is a first floor walk-up above a menswear store. Um, He does forfeit his deposit when uh, he crashes through the floor. The statue of Mastermind that the stranger causes crashes through the floor and voids his security deposit. And I do think he owes the landlord for that damage. Uh, even though the stranger did it, Magneto did invite him into his home. So he is responsible for his guests. I do think we should prosecute that to the full extent of the law. However, I don't think he breaks any laws beyond that. Um, with regard to the attack on the mansion, I do think a case could be made and I will pursue it strenuously that he has done considerable vandalism to the property. Some may argue that they are improvements to the property in that he has installed some force fields and some pretty cool death traps. However, he did not have Charles Xavier's consent when he did that. Uh, And he did definitely try to murder five people in a balloon. So (laughs) that I think summarizes the atrocious crimes of Magneto in these stories. to the extent with which the prosecution wishes to proceed. <laughs> and Noel. So Magneto's actions in this section can be. Uh, Noel, your sound cut out for a second. So oh, sorry. You're good. Restart. Okay. So Magneto's actions in this section can be summed up in either trying to save all of mutant kind by allying with the evolutionaries or concocting plans that don't really cause much harm or collateral damage which for Magneto's plans in the 60s is pretty good. Um, As far as the evolutionaries go, Magneto learned that humans intended to eradicate mutants through the use of the Sentinels. So he's not only facing his own demise um, and his followers, but also every other mutant on the planet. So humans were the ones who raised the stakes this high in the battle of a survival of species. And gathering the missiles is just getting power on terms that humans understand. So I don't think that it's fair to hold that against him. Um, And he rescued Emma from Mr. Sinister. So I think that goes in the defense. Um, And all of his reactions are coming from a man who has seen genocide firsthand. So allying with the evolutionaries just makes sense. 
As far as his run-in with the Stranger and the X-Men, um, one, he really only got himself into a mess, and Toad, <laughs> but Toad is blindly loyal at this point, so he probably would have been sad if he didn't get captured with Magneto and taken away by the Stranger. So he was mean when he was there, but Toad, for whatever reason, wants to be with Magneto. If I'm remembering and, right, Toad like jumped in after him, like, wait for me, master. Exactly. Thank you. Forgot that part. So Toad wants to be there. Um, and it was cruel to send the X-Men into the air in a metal ball, but it's not really a great plan and the X-Men are able to escape. So it almost seems like Magneto just wanted to show that he could do this rather than actually take the X-Men out. Uh, he knows what their powers are. He knows what they can get away from. And when he kidnaps, I'm going to put in quote, kidnaps the Worthingtons, he actually invites them in. They just take a nap. They don't know anything is happening. Um, so I don't think he caused them any damage at all. And I would also like to point out that he was creating an android army rather than taking like human or mutant slaves with free wills and a sense of self. So that's pretty restrained for Magneto because at other times he is willing to force his will onto others, but these are androids. There's like no mention that they have any free will of their own. What points do the jury need for clarification or do you have any comments on this section of continuity? Just love the, uh, well, we kidnapped you, but we gave you lunch and you took a nap and you know uh we have we need to raise an army but it's a robot army we're not taking over people he's very very diplomatic about these acts of aggression this does need to be this does seem to me to be another section of like almost crimes yeah. but nothing ever quite happens i don't know the big thing i think i want clarification or some kind of justification for is the way he treats people under his power especially toad um he tries to abandon toad in this section doesn't he or to yeah he, he does abandon toad on the stranger's planet for a time uh he uh he gets much worse to toad in some upcoming sessions uh sections i mean in this one the worst thing he did was leave him behind when toad begged to be uh i mean he calls him names a lot he's very verbally abusive to toad yeah, in it's this not area. a good work situation that's for sure no. he also dresses toad like a court jester <laughs> although i seem to recall that if i am not mistaken the next time we see toad he uh, is battling, he returns from the stranger's planet with a toad mech suit that he built out of stranger Not technology. Yet. We're going to get to what happens to toad next in the next section. Oh, am I mis? Why do I remember him having a mech suit when he fights Scarlet Witch and the Vision? He, at he does. He does. That's just farther in continuity. <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> he does. He calls himself the Terrible Toad King and he has toad battle armor. It's fantastic. That's right. <laughs> Glorious, actually. <laughs> Uh, any other points of clarification in this section? I think as the defense, I have to say people are allowed to dislike other people. And I think if he could have chosen allies, Magneto would not have picked Toad for his team. So I think he just dislikes him. And maybe he's trying to get Toad to go away and Toad just will not. He can't get rid of him. Uh, the prosecution must concede that Toad sucks real bad. So... <laughs> Maybe we <laughs> Toad is not a great ally to women. Toad is not a great respecter of women's boundaries. 
I think he could do with a bit more verbal abuse, quite frankly. <laughs> so, we're who we're gonna we're gonna do the trial of the toad. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him about the husk skins in the basement. (laughs) What did you say, Justin? Who among us wouldn't have left Toad if given the opportunity? I wouldn't have left him. I would have brought him back to the planet and then gently walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's go ahead and vote here. Uh, If you guys remember the scale, Noel first. I have to go one. These are not real crimes. Anthony? I uh, must strongly disagree as the prosecution. These are very terrible crimes of minor vandalism and slight mayhem, and I must gravely insist upon a one. (laughs) Justin. Uno. Uh, I'm going to go to the abandonment of Toad being the one that makes me most uncomfortable. Tristan. I'm also going to go to and would go higher, except the uh, the, the toad sucks argument is very compelling. <laughs> Finally, Hussein. Oh, uh, I've got to go one because, I mean, if you've got access to the Worthingtons, why aren't you taking their money? This doesn't feel like any real crime here. They do make a handsome baby, though. Like, I could, I can understand the case there. Like, oh, if you're looking for, like, if I were building an Android race to scan the DNA of, I would think about the Worthingtons. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, he needs the white billionaire DNA to build his mutant army. <laughs> okay, oh that gives us a possible score of eight out of 30, which might be the lowest score we've ever had in any of these trial sections. The prosecution is nonetheless pleased with that score. <laughs> In uh, section three, we will have Hussein on prosecution uh, and Tristan on defense. And hey, Hussein, we're here to support in any way you need. So I'll I'll, I'll back you up. Uh, At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, in Avengers number 40, we're going to start getting into areas where X-Men fans are less familiar because a lot of the following content takes place in other books. In Avengers number 47 through 49, which we will be reviewing on my podcast soon, Uh, When the stranger was gone, Magneto sensed magnetic radio waves being broadcast into space, and he latched onto them and followed them home, bringing Toad with him this time. On Earth, Magneto found the scientist Norris, as well as Dane Whitman, who's the future Black Knight, and immediately took over their castle and imprisoned them. Then he sent a summons to Pietro and Wanda. Learning that they had joined the Avengers, he captured the two for betraying the cause of mutants and returned them to his island, which... Uh, he, he returned them to his island. After showing off his research into alternative mad, uh, magnetic energy, Magneto takes Toad and his captives to the United Nations, where he forces his way in and then publicly declares that he shall end his war on humans if mutants are given their own nation. The Avengers attack, and Magneto then makes a stray bullet from a security guard that was fired, graze Wanda's skull, which caused her to lose some of her memories. And this action prompts Pietro to declare allegiance back to Magneto once again. Magneto then departs with his newly formed brotherhood, Toad, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver. In Marvel Voices Pride number one, 
the eighth story. This is where I placed this in continuity. Mr. Anthony Oliveira tells a story about Magneto approaching the X-Mansion with armed missiles wanting to make Xavier see his side, but he abandons his mission when he sees Iceman crying and he comforts Iceman for being gay. Even lets him try on his helmet. And then uh, finally, in X-Men number 43 through 45, uh, and also Avengers number 53, we see a crossover. Hearing that Professor X had died in combat, which was actually a ruse by Xavier, Magneto grew furious with, with Quicksilver for going to Xavier's funeral. After punishing the Toad, and this is this is canon, he, Magneto made Toad wear a magnetic belt so that he could more easily abuse him. Magneto built a device that would then enslave human minds, and he stole a computer from a ship to power it. But the X-Men attacked, and Magneto defended them, or defeated them. Magneto was tempted to kill the teens, but Pietro convinced, them, uh, convinced him to let them live and stay as captives. Angel soon escaped, and then Cyclops, for which Magneto then tortured Toad again, and, or abused Toad again. Magneto sat back to see if Quicksilver could defeat Cyclops, but then Magneto lured the Avengers to the island and used his computer to mentally force the X-Men to attack the Avengers, so mind control. The ruse failed and Magneto turned against both groups of heroes. At a crucial moment, Magneto ordered Toad to detonate a bomb, but Toad, tired of Magneto's abuse, activated a device that would self-destruct the entire island instead. Toad escaped in a non-metal ship and pushed Magneto out of it to sink into the ocean where he was seemingly lost. So Toad is redeemed on his own power. Uh, so uh, Hussein for the prosecution and Tristan for the defense. Thank you, people of the jury. I think one of the things that's really evident in this section is that Magneto doesn't want to give people choice. He is constantly taking away people's ability to decide what they think is best for themselves. Yes, humanity has come forward and said they don't like mutants, but by going into the UN and threatening them, uh, unless they give mutants a nation, he's taking away people and mutants' choice with the ability to live together harmoniously, as is the will and wish of the great Professor Charles Xavier. And so I think that we can see a future uh, from mutants and for humanity that Magneto wishes to take away from us. He takes away choice from his children, to leave him and do good in the world, even shooting his own daughter. And as we see Iceman, his comfort of Iceman, you may say, well, what is this? Isn't this Magneto being good? But Iceman has made a choice to side with Charles Xavier to learn how to suppress his own sexuality. And if Iceman chooses to suppress that under the guidance of Charles Xavier, who is Magneto there to interfere on his behalf? <laughs> and we see this over and over and over again, where Magneto seeks to take away choice. Perhaps the place where we can uh, uh, totally not defend Magneto in any way is where he abuses Toad. Here is Toad choosing to join a brotherhood. It is in the name. He expects, that is Toad expects misogyny bar none. He expects the abuse of Scarlet Witch. He does not expect his own abuse. And Magneto simply tortures him at every opportunity. So there is no redeeming value for Magneto in this section at all, where he simply chooses to take away choice from all the people he threatens. And the defense. Good people of the jury, my case for this section and for many others is simple. The events, well, my case is denial. The events depicted in these stories did not happen. 
they could not possibly have happened. And uh, the and Anthony's story in uh, Marvel Voices Pride is uh, is probably the most direct illustration of that. Um, Magne uh, Magneto. Um, Become, um, becomes dad Magneto. He is extremely comforting uh, to Iceman. He is understanding, he is empathetic. All things that in the stories in the 1960s, he does not, he, um, he does not, uh, he does not demonstrate. The, um, bear in mind that if we place this here in the chronology, that this is shortly after um, uh, Magneto tortured Iceman, Again, on panel to uh, to to um, reveal the location of Xavier's school. So I submit to you that these two people are not the same person, that they cannot be the same person, and that the events that we have that are being recounted in the 1960s stories are fictional. I don't know how widely known this is, but in Marvel continent, comics continuity, there is a Marvel Comics that publishes the adventures of many of the heroes uh, that we know that we uh, know and love today, and that in fact um, some of the heroes that we are familiar with actually wrote for the in-universe Marvel Comics, including Steve Rogers at one point in the '80s. So, what I submit to you to explain Magneto's actions here is that the Magneto that we see in these in the 1960s stories is. The in-universe Marvel Comics depiction of Magneto, written by characters in universe who do not fully understand, uh, did not fully understand Magneto, and that the Magneto that we see instead in Anthony's uh, Marvel Voices Pride is the real, unvarnished Magneto. Um, but that everything else we are seeing here, we are seeing through the lens of people who do not like and do not understand Magneto. That is not only the best, that is in some ways the only way I can square the Magneto that we love with the Magneto that appears in these in these comic pages. While the judge, who's also randomly a jury member, uh, appreciates the creativity, I have a good in from the watcher that this is all continuity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what uh, what information do you need or comments do you have about this section of Magneto's history? For me, the abuse of Toad is is pretty heinous. It's uh, but we get we get uh, Toad to finally fight back. Uh, he literally makes him wear a belt so that he can toss him around the room easier. <laughs> uh, what what information? Toad likes that belt. Toad likes that belt. <laughs> you think Perhaps the belt is a safety device because he knows he's <laughs> going to lose control of um, uh, of of his temper, and so he puts it on yeah. Toad to protect Toad. It was a gift from his father figure. He loves it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there are a couple, um, uh, and I, I apologize, I nearly forget. There are a couple incidents in these stories that I wanted to specifically discuss in uh, in Magneto's defense. Um, when Toad flees um, uh, flees Magneto's island after uh, and uh, finally abandons Magneto, he does so in a ship made of non-metals. And he specifically tells Magneto, as if to remind him, you built a ship out of non-metals just to prove that you could do it. As if, and as if Magneto has forgotten that until that very moment. Um, I submit to you that Magneto 
did not uh, has not forgotten that and that he set this up specifically for toad enable to uh, in, to enable toad to escape he recognizes his own his um his own uh, abusive tendencies he is plainly self-destructive recognizes the harms he's committing and can't do anything to escape the cycle oh um, tristan i i have to i have to disagree with you here i think this is total manufactured consent on magneto's part he's getting Toad out of his life, even though Toad is supposed to be under his care and watch. I think this is a, a huge mark against Magneto here. We'll let, we'll let the, the good people of the jury decide that one. <laughs> I know that this jury member is very pleased to learn he is the sole arbiter of canon. That is quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and I accept with a very humble gratitude on that one. Uh, Anthony, we talked about this on the podcast briefly before. I won't have to keep statements brief here, but tell us about your choice and your story to portray a compassionate Magneto during this time of mad Magneto. Uh, I think that my, I mean, it, it is very interesting to me that Tristan brings this up as a matter of canonicity because that was um, in some ways exactly what I was going for with this story is like an attempt to insist. I mean, the, the thing that everyone always talks about with Bobby is like, oh, this is such a uh, a retcon. And like anyone who's been paying attention to that character's history uh, knows it isn't, right? Like Bobby has been written as queer since like 1985, if you were reading correctly. But, um, and it is precisely this kind of refusal of queerness as an aspect of the canon that uh, the story was meant to touch on. So I wanted in this story to open a very specific seam um, in X-Men history, it, the story flags quite clearly that these events are somewhere between X-Men 14 and X-Men 18, because we open with the Sentinel. It's like literally a panel from the comics, three panels drawn by Jack Kirby. Uh, and we just literally let the scene continue from there. So it was important to me um, to say that this is a story that has always existed. This is a story that you have always been missing as part of the X-Men story, which is Bobby's struggle with his sexuality as lensed through Charles Xavier's shitty, we have to hide who we are thing. Um, and how damaging that would be to a person's psychology to be raised by someone who insisted you strap down your wings and wear special shoes to hide your feet and all these things. Um, and that's why the compassionate Magneto was important to me too, because uh, one of the things that the way we have been reading for the last 60 years is that Magneto is the villain and what happens if you take seriously what this exact trial is doing which is like how do you understand this man if you took his claims as true um and that's why I insist this is not a big character shift it is simply just looking at his point of view um as valid as something to think about. And when speaking to a queer man is like, you don't have to hide who you are. You don't have to capitulate. You don't have to integrate. You can just be who you are. And I think that that was the case I was trying to make. That was longer than maybe you wanted to. No, no, no. I love, I love your thoughts. <laughs> you're, you're brilliant. The reason I placed this piece here is uh, it's after he's back from the stranger's planet, but we could put it in the X-Men 1718 when he's captured. Yeah, the I, I, I want to check my notes. Too. I very specifically was like, here's where it is, but I very specifically didn't publicly say where it is in case I had made some mistake. <laughs> yeah, it could go in either spot. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> right. As um, 
as Magneto's defense, I also want to draw the um, the jury's attention to uh, one of my favorite bits from Anthony's story is when he is, um, uh, and I laughed out loud when I when I when I read this. Uh, Magneto was approaching uh, Xavier's Institute with a swarm of missiles to attack it. Um, they get destroyed by the Iceman, and he's and Magneto is not terribly upset by this. He just he brushes it off and says, "Oh, there will there will always be uh, there there will always be other missiles." Um, it kind of recontextualizes a lot of this too, in that this is uh, all like some kind of grand game that uh, that all of these characters are playing. That um, that there that things happen within the rules and outside of the rules. And Magneto is uh, is stepping out of the uh, is stepping out of the uh, out of the game when he sees the genuine pain that uh, that Bobby Drake is experiencing. Yeah, thank it, you. It that... does. Have, I think that is important evidence that the jury needs to take into consideration. I'm so glad you flagged that sentence. It's one of my favorites because I do think it it is to him a joke. It is a stepping out of the game, but it's also his philosophy, right? Magneto knows there will always be more missiles. <laughs> like that is really the statement of his character. The missiles will come again. So um, thank you. That makes me very happy. Uh, I'm glad you guys liked it. <laughs> uh, with that, let's vote on this section. Uh, Anthony. Can I zero or is one as low as it can go? One as low as it can go. One it know, is. He's still, you know, he's still like, <laughs> propped missiles and abused toad and like they oh, want us as low as we could go <laughs> i must once again add the codicil that toad deserves it so <laughs> one from me uh justin i think i'm going one as well um i mm, this one steps into a slightly higher category for me given the harming of the scarlet witch in an effort to manipulate. I do think him storming the United Nations and demanding a country, I think it's a beautiful story, uh, frankly. I love I love that energy from Magneto. But the harming of the Scarlet Witch and the abuse of the Toad take this up to a three for me. Uh, Tristan. I'm going to go with a, with a, uh, with a two. Um, I, have been, I have been kind of hard on Magneto throughout all of this. Um, and I do, I... I, I, I want to continue to hold him to high standards because we, we will not be doing him any, uh, any favors if, um, if, we, if, if we ignore his, uh, the, the ways in which he is sometimes genuinely abusive to, uh, to people under his power. Hussein. Uh, I'm gonna go three as well for uh, his treatment of Toad and Scarlet Witch. And Noel. I have no problem with storming into the UN. I think that was a pretty baller move, but uh, for what he did to Scarlet Witch, Toad, I don't really care, to be honest. And also, I don't really care about Quicksilver. He kind of deserves it too. So for what he did to the Scarlet Witch alone, I will go three. Okay. That and I, have, I think I said two earlier. I, I misspoke. I meant to say three. Oh, okay. Okay. That gives us a uh, 14 out of 30 in this section. So still relatively low. Section four, we only have two left. Uh, section four uh, will be uh, Noel on the prosecution and Hussein on the defense. In X-Men number 62 and 63, Magneto finds himself in Subterranea because he landed in the ocean, right? And then he wound up in Subterranea, which is like the kingdom under the surface. 
and he made his way to the savage land somehow where he found some ancient alien equipment. After familiarizing himself with it, he used it to mutate some of the local tribesmen there, giving them superpowers. And he created the team, the Savage Land Mutates, who are some obscure but fan favorite X-Men villains uh, in order to serve him. Uh, he used the name Creator during this time, which is a little messianic again. Uh, and he created mutants or mutates like Amphibious, Piper, Gaza, Lupo, Brainchild, Equilibrius, and Lorelei. Lorelei in particular, we're going to see again, so I'll spend a second more on her. She is a woman who can sing and control the minds and hearts of men, basically. In time, the X-Men came to the Savage Land and Magneto captured them, but they pretty easily defeated him and collapsed his base. In X-Men The Hidden Years, numbers one through five and 12, John Byrne goes back and tells stories based after the first volume of X-Men ended before Claremont took, in, uh, took over, and it's set right here. Magneto was washed in a river further into the Savage Land, and he found the city of the Nugarai race, who are winged creatures who commanded powerful radiation that boosted the healing capacities of men. After studying the place, Mag Magneto sensed that a massive earthquake would soon happen, because, you know, that's how magnetism works. Uh, he projected his astral self and pretended to be a ghost, and then manipulated the avian race into serving him. In time, the X-Men found Magneto there and saved the Nugarai from the earthquake while defeating Magneto. Magneto escaped and tried to seize more resources, but he fought the dinosaur man Sauron and a group of X-Men, which included uh, uh, Magnetrix or Polaris, which I believe is his first canon meeting with Polaris uh, since he saw her as a child. Magneto was defeated and left unconscious, but he was later found by Namor. Finally, in Fantastic Four, number 102 through 104, Namor brought Magneto to Atlantis, proposing an, an alliance. Magneto used Namor's equipment to boost his powers and then triggered an attack in Atlantis, which he then blamed on the surface world in order to spur Namor to war against the surface world. When the Fantastic Four approached, Namor sought peace, but Magneto attacked, taking over Namor's ship. Then he captured or kidnapped both the Invisible Woman and Dorma, who is uh, Namor's Atlantean girlfriend, in order to force Namor and the Fantastic Four to do as he said. Magneto forced the Atlantean army to attack New York City. Soon he set up a tent in the city and claimed New York City as his own, but the Fantastic Four, along with Crystal, attacked and used technology that turned Magneto's powers against him. They left him behind in a shield for the military to come and arrest him. So he's trapped in this force field at the end of this section. Uh, let's turn it over to Noel for the prosecution. All right, so it goes against who I am to prosecute Magneto, but I respect the integrity of these Grey Malkin trials. Uh, so I will take it on. And our heroes still need to be held accountable when they step out of the bounds of what is appropriate. So at this point, Magneto has given in fully to his megalomaniacal tendencies by having the Savage Land mutates serve him as king and call him creator in his desire for followers and gaining an army to carry out his grand plan. He gives in to the worst impulses of a colonizer. He looks down on the native population and believes that they are his to command. And he kind of looks at himself as a savior for bringing out their powers. And at one point he refers to Lorelei as a mindless swamp savage. Um, and then he goes on to repeat a similar process with the Nugarai. 
In Atlantis, Magneto blatantly betrays Namor's trust after being rescued and brought back to health. And in a harebrained attempt to take over the world, he starts a battle between Atlantis and the Fantastic Four, potentially risking US military involvement, which I think we're all acutely aware right now of how dangerous that is. In the attack that he brings on Atlantis, hundreds of Atlanteans' lives are put at risk in when a structure nearly collapses on them. They're only saved because Namor happens to be in the right place at the right time. And he has a false idea. I don't think he understands enough about Namor right now to realize he's never gonna push him to his side because Namor is about himself in Atlantis. But to do so, he takes hostages to try and force Namor's hand as well as the Fantastic Four. And he's willing to risk an unknown number of deaths to claim power over Atlantis and the rest of the world. So overall, these stories reflect a lack of regard for the lives of innocent bystanders, the sovereignty of the nation of Atlantis, and the dignity of the native people of the Savage Land. Beautiful. I want to note really quickly, the, the Nugurai, the only continuity aspect they seem to share is with the random Great Lakes Avengers member, Dinosaur. It's kind of hinted that she's from their race. Just a random Marvel nugget for you there. Uh, Hussein for the defense. I don't know why Magneto would be put on trial for any of these events listed here. In the first instance where he's creating the mutates and wants to be called the creator, isn't that simply a description of who he is to them? He is their creator. It's a statement of fact. Where is the crime? He finds this technology and he chooses to use it. And he creates a group of people with whom he can work through his community and leadership issues with. If this is not the ultimate form of therapy for Magneto, I'm not sure what help we can afford to give him in the future. It is the X-Men who come and trespass on his land, who trespass on his property, and seek to battle him while Magneto is minding his own business on his porch. Then when we come to the new Garai, well, we see the same thing again. We are putting assumptions on what Magneto's actions would be, when in fact, all we know is, is that he knows there's an earthquake coming for these people. They have a technology that allows people to heal. He's using, through his astral projection, a way to unify the community we can easily assume to help save them from this coming earthquake. And again, the X-Men trespass and interfere with his plans, causing him to um, have to battle them rather than try to save the new Garai. And the X-Men painting themselves as heroes, as is their want often. Uh, far too frequently. And finally, when we think about Namor and Atlantis, if, as we are told, Magneto was left behind for the military to come and arrest him, well, this is simply a case of double jeopardy. Because if the military had him, of course they would have tried him. Why are we trying him again for something that the military has already held him for? And if the military did not find him guilty, how can we find him guilty now? So in all these instances, it is always Professor X's fault. Magneto is innocent of all the crimes charged against him. And it's the X-Men and their thoughtlessness that caused Magneto to need to defend himself. Beautiful. Uh, clarifying points or comments on this section of Magneto's history. Uh, the mutates. So the deal is that they were people 
and then he gave them powers or yeah, they, they're they... natives they're natives of tribes in the savage land and he uses uh-huh. this he uses this alien technology he's found to grant them powers so like brainchild was like a normal person and then magneto made him a little creep like that's the deal yes yeah okay. brainchild amphibious piper and various other uh of the mutate characters barbarous Weird. there's a yeah. bunch of strange ones yeah do we yeah, but, but to, to, to be clear, right? I mean, Magneto is elevating them and, and giving them their <laughs> okay. heart's desire simply sure because they choose to do something <laughs> with their powers that was unintended on his part. Doesn't mean we can hold Magneto responsible for that. But he is acting as a blatant colonizer. Mm. But that's not the crime being charged here. <laughs> I'm the prosecution. So I am charging him. With <laughs> Do we know if the mutates had gave consent? Did they want these powers? Did they want this involvement from Magneto? Or is uh, I believe that they consented, yes, but I would have to read the story again to confirm that directly. Okay. And I, and I think the, I the believe, basis with everything the Savage Land is everybody gives consent to everything to get to some point of conflict. So I believe way back when, when I worked on the Marvel handbooks, I think I did the entry on the Savage Land mutates, but I did a lot of entries and I can't, it, it's it's like more than 10 years ago now. <laughs> it's hard for to mirror, but I researched all these characters like in super detail back then. And this is surprising to me. I I thought in my memory, they were like, like lab grown. I'm surprised to hear that they were already people. Um, yeah, no, they're tribesmen. Hmm. Uh, I am like? I am 95% confident, but I'm going to confirm as we are talking right now. And I believe the animator was more what you're talking about, where oh, okay. he grew people of a, a variety of man, animal. Yeah, I thought this was like a high evolutionary deal. So I guess not. Okay, that, I did, that I did radically informs my vote. Yeah, I did do the write-up. And here's my literal first note on the Savage Land mutates. I still have the notes. Uh, using untapped radiations in the Savage Land, Magneto built a machine and turned several of the local indigenous people there into superpowered mutates who were loyal to him. That's, wow. Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's vote on this section. Uh, let's have uh, Justin go first. I think I'm going to go three. Um, just just because it's it's really him starting to spread his influence on people. And I also need to start switching to he's guilty because I'm on the prosecution next. <laughs> uh, I think the most problematic stuff was the mm, the fight with the Fantastic Four and then the colonization stuff. That's an effective prosecution for me, but I do justify a lot of his actions. So it's not a four or five, but it is a three for me here as well. Uh, Tristan. I'm going to go with a, with a four. This story was, uh, are the... Um, the story set in the Savage Lands, like a lot of stories set in the Savage Lands, are deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> and I don't like them. Hussein? I'm going to go with the three here uh, because of the colonization, Savage Land. Fine. And Noel? Uh, I'm trying to talk myself out of five, but uh, I think I'm going to go five on this one. Ooh. And Anthony? Uh... Lorelai comes up in one of the ones I did as well. And I was deeply alarmed by her (laughs) and and hearing this, having forgotten these issues. I also am a little concerned. Um, I think I'm going three on this. It's, it's odd. Like if they're into it, I feel different, but I, I don't know. I think I'm a, 
I'm in a three for uncomfortable reasons is what I'm going to say. No, we could make him, uh, we could make him culpable in Brainchild's future actions. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, producing a character like Brainchild is a real crime. I have to. <laughs> Uh, this gives us a 21 out of 30. And Lorelai, for context, look her up, but she's basically a white woman in a nightgown with very long hair. Yeah. Goes, Ooh, and all the little dot her. eyes. Yeah, I, I screen capped all her pictures because they weirded me out deeply. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so final section. And this literally takes us up to where Claremont picked up uh, Magneto later on. So... Uh, oh, Justin's got Magneto up. Here we go. Uh, on this final section, we have uh, Justin on the prosecution, Anthony on the defense, and then we will close the trial. In uh, And this is the weirdest story out of all the ones we've read, and there's been some weird ones. In Amazing Adventures, Volume 2, Numbers 9 and 10, which was an inhuman series at this point, the stories are all bizarre. Magneto escaped the bubble he was trapped in by, and I quote, using the practice of yoga to restore control of his power, shattering the cage around him, he gathered powerful technology that could mutate people, giving them powers. And then he gathered a small army of his own creation. And these characters have never appeared again. Their names, uh, the ones that we know of, their names are Obar, Moon Eye, and Kristar, not to be confused with the Crystal Warrior character. Magneto then focused his attention on capturing Black Bolt, Gorgon, Karnak, and Medusa, assuming that they were mutants and wanting them to be in his control. After creating one massive, monstrous, creepy motherfucking mutate, Magneto then used a machine to take mental control of Black Bolt. Then he took the king to San Francisco to attack the humans there. He began preparing another machine to attack humanity with, but in the end, Black Bolt, Black Bolt defreed himself and destroyed the machine as Magneto ran away. In Avengers 110 and 111, Magneto returned to the Savage Land and got Piper, who could control dinosaurs by playing a flute. And then he took the dinosaurs back to New York City and attacked. <laughs> I shit you not. Uh, weakened Magneto then devised a replica of Angel's costume and tricked the teen into putting it on so that it would drain his energy. After knocking Angel out, Magneto then put on Angel's costume himself, which then restored his own mutant energy, and he attacked the X-Mansion and knocked out the X-Men in Angel's suit. When the Avengers came to investigate, Magneto dressed in Angel's costume to fool them. Uh, then Piper attacked them with the dinosaurs. Magneto defeated the heroes by controlling the iron in their blood, which made them do his bidding. He literally made the Scarlet Witch dance for him. And then he had the heroes kidnap a bunch of politicians. He made the politicians reveal to him the secrets of their atomic energy. Magneto then planned to kill many more humans and mutate others into mutants that he could rule. In the end, Vision defeated Magneto by phasing into Piper and having Piper hit Magneto. <laughs> These two stories are nuts. Uh, finally, and this one is similarly nuts, in Defenders number 15 and 16, Thor encased Magneto in a bubble of energy and imprisoned him in the center of the earth where Magneto remained trapped for months. That happened, that's canon. Uh, Magneto eventually escaped. He found a cavern full of alien technology and books, and he began to uh, he began to create or he experimented and then created what he hoped would be the ultimate mutant who he could control the world through. He formed a new brotherhood of evil mutants, which included Lorelei, Blob, Eunice the Untouchable, and Mastermind. Uh, Professor X attacked with the Defenders, and they fought the Brotherhood. But the ultimate mutant was soon born, and Magneto named it Alpha. Alpha easily defeated all of the heroes, super powerful. Then Magneto took him to the United Nations, 
where Alpha, where Magneto, excuse me, immediately demanded that mutants be granted dominion over the entire planet. He ordered Alpha, who was quickly evolving, to destroy the attacking or defenders, but Alpha soon realized that Magneto himself was the villain. Alpha then used his expanding powers to change Magneto and the rest of the Brotherhood into adorable little babies, and then he took off for space. And a uh, note for our continuity uh, folks, uh, Alpha only appears one more time. He gets captured by the stranger uh, in Quasar 14 through 16, and then he runs off into space. That's that's basically the only time we've ever seen him again. Uh, turn- I'd run off into space if I could. <laughs> let's turn it over to Justin for the prosecution. And we talk a lot about heroes and villains, good and evil, right and wrong, one side or the other. And sometimes it's not always black and white. Sometimes with shades of gray between, it's unclear where someone falls, whether they're a hero or a villain. Kidnapping, experimentation, enslavement, terrorism. When we hear these words, these crimes, it's hard to find where the gray area might be. Whoever committed these acts would be labeled as a criminal, regardless of their motivations. They'd be a menace, a villain. And if they used any powers beyond the capabilities of man, well, then that would make them a supervillain. The nefarious cult leader that we all know as Magneto kidnapped and manipulated groups of people, people from throughout our world and beyond. With his powers, he forced them to join his legion of evildoers to take power over the planet, in some instances, altering their physiologies with untested genetic experimentation. He tried to use violence and intimidation to gain control over people, governments, and heroes. Now, sometimes it can be hard to see the difference between heroes and villains, but when a person kidnaps our beloved champions and controls them beyond their wills, I'm not sure what else you would call that person. Magneto captured members of inhuman royalty, Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes, and even the X-Men, mutants, his own people, the people he swears that he's trying to create a better life for. On the topic of mutants, I want to talk about Alpha for a second. Alpha was created by Magneto, born with the innocence of a child. When instructed by Magneto to attack, to kill people, Alpha resisted. He knew what he, he was being told was wrong. Magneto was, in fact, the evil one who had to be stopped. We as a jury have a chance to stop him today, right now. And over to Anthony. Ah, well, uh, my, uh, my colleague across the aisle here used a lot of scary words in that speech. Kidnapping, enslavement. What are we to make of the Avengers who kidnapped my client, put him in the earth for months, and then when he tried to fight back, enslaved the mind of Piper, the vision fades into his body, I guess that's the thing he can do, and beat Magneto over the head. Sounds to me like enslavement. Uh, The question I want to ask, and I think is the question we have to ask going forward with Magneto from now on, um, is a question that actually Charles I asked when he was brought for his execution. And he said, by what power am I brought hither? And I think what we must deal with when dealing with Magneto is that this is not a citizen who is being brought to trial against our laws. 
this is a person who is making a claim for a separate sovereignty from our own. And we must treat him as a state-to-state -state relationship. If he is kidnapped, if he is held without trial in these various bubbles he keeps being trapped in, we have to ask, what right do we prosecute him for then fighting for his own freedom and for the ability to move through the world without further embubblements? <laughs> I think that's, he is not, he's fighting back, it is true. He is using the means by which he has, but we don't sentence somebody for stealing a loaf of bread. We don't sentence somebody for fighting for the bare life of being able to exist. I'll let Magneto defend himself here using his own language from when he is explaining to Alpha why he has done what he's done. Yes, Alpha, I lied to you, but for your own good. You were born an emotional infant. You couldn't be expected to understand the reasons for our actions or the vicious persecution that has forced us to them. Regardless of the deception, Alpha, you are still a mutant, a mutant just like me. You must stand with us, with the others of your kind. It is the only hope we have. Magneto has done perhaps some terrible things, although I don't really see too many terrible things in here, whatever, they were kidnapping him. But I think we must recognize he is fighting for a people and for an emergent homeland. Uh, and the last thing I will say is that at the end of these stories, Magneto is reduced to a baby once again. Now, when Magneto was brought to trial before the world court, they decided that because he was turned into a baby, he is no longer culpable for any of the crimes he did before he became a baby. Does this court claim to have greater jurisdiction than the world court? I rest my case. I would argue those mutates he created in the Inhuman story, there's something so pathetic. And I, I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of those characters. They're, 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 they're just kind of grotesque and really <laughs> like, uh, he, he, it's, they're, they're really, I don't even know how to describe them. It, it makes me uncomfortable. We talked about the colonization before, uh, but this is him reverting to people almost into kind of, servile like uh i'm gonna i'm gonna make you disgusting and you have to revere me now uh, is this that's amazing almost... avengers ones the yeah, weird yeah. blobby boys yeah they look yeah. like um Obar they kind of look like skeletor henchmen more than anything yeah They're just like grody little like yeah not like, great whatever, whatever happened to those dudes <laughs> <laughs> they kind of look boogery i don't like them <laughs> uh clarifications what do people need to vote in this section and when, we will note we will note to Anthony's point quickly. Right after this is when Moira McTaggart came back. We can argue with it. This is all her fault. <laughs> she unleashed Magneto and then went, oh shit, I made some mistakes. And then he became a baby and she like messed with his genetics so he'd be different when he grew back up again. Uh it's a, it's a weird story. Go ahead, Noel. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I have a question. When he captures Black Bolt, is he intending to use Black Bolt's power? I read this yeah, twice. I do not understand, honestly, what he's he's got him in like some light bondage situation. There is some kind of thing with his powers, but then he just like makes him press buttons. <laughs> like it's not really. I don't know. He's also very off model. This goes to Tristan's point. Like he's not even wearing his costume. Is this even Magneto? Like who is this guy? He's got this crazy disco look going on with the the 
the circle belt buttons. I don't know. I'll, I'll post some images of this costume. It's it's ugh, it's terrible. But he also thinks <laughs> oh, the inhuman. He also thinks the inhumans are mutants, uh, which is interesting. And fuck Thor for leaving him stuck in the earth. Like I'm yeah. just gonna trap you down here. Ugh. Where's the trial of Thor? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That's a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and yeah. the carceral like, bubble state. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like work, there's taste for. This is Magneto's look in this. What is that? Look at the belt. <laughs> That's no Magneto, I know. This is exactly. <laughs> I feel like there's a case for not guilty by reason of insanity for him having been trapped alone for months. Um, I feel like yeah. that's relevant. I will say to the this is not Magneto case, when we see him doing his mind-altering yoga, he has brown hair. He does not have his silver mane. I'm just saying. Steve Rogers wrote this issue. Uh, he <laughs> there did, you go. did not have a good handle on, on Magneto. <laughs> uh, are we ready to vote here? Uh, I will have Tristan go first this time. I'm going to say four. Um, again, just uh, his cruelty to, uh, to the Scarlet Witch um, making her dance. Um, is is difficult for me to look to uh, to, to to look past. Um, and, I am tempted uh, to go a little bit lower just because he's uh, he's he was trapped in a extremely cruel and unusual bubble underneath the earth for uh, for months, and that that may be mitigating. But I feel like we're not doing him any favors if we deny the uh, the severity of his uh, his abuses and cruelties. Yeah, we 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 will be better uh, uh, to him um, if we are honest about these. He seems quite desperate for power here, for sure. Uh, Hussein, on this one, I think I've got to go five, both because of the Scarlet Witch and and because of what he ends up doing with the mutates. Fair, Noel. I'm gonna go four uh, for the Scarlet Witch, and then also. I would make it a five, but I don't know what he's planning to do with Black Bolt. Uh, he's somebody whose powers are pretty uncontrollable and dangerous. So I'm not going to give it a five. So they don't know that he wants to use them. So I'm going to go four. And Anthony? Uh, I'm going to go three. I can't, I can't bring myself to go higher than three. Uh, I don't see a lot of finished execution here. He causes some minor mischief. I don't know if these people who are globby booger people now used to be normal people or if he made them from scratch. <laughs> I think that that would kind of raise some questions for me. Um, I don't love any of these panels with Lorelai where he's like, call it a Pygmalion complex, if you will. How he like has a crush on her, which is doubly weird now that I'm hearing that she used to be a normal person. Um, she has quite the blowout on this wig, though. Look at this. <laughs> Look at that. Serious. Um, yeah, but I'm going three. And Justin. Oh, it's a five for me. I, I gotta, you know, these these actions, they're they're the height of his villainy in my mind. He's taken over different people. Yes, he wasn't he was encased in an area, but wasn't that because he had done some things previously? Isn't that of his own accord? Yeah. Uh, I'm also going three here. 
mostly because it failed uh, in the end, uh, which gives us the final score. I've been keeping tally of uh, of 89 out of a possible 150 points. Uh, when we take that percentage, it's 55%, uh, which is 11% higher than Juggernaut, but 14% lower than Charles Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like one of the lower ones. <laughs> So as we conclude all of this, we, we spent a couple of hours exploring Magneto's very complicated prehistory, and now we've spent a couple of hours examining his really uh, complicated uh, 60s and 70s appearances. Chris Claremont is a genius to take this character from these stories and do what he did. Hickman is a further genius. I think there's some really fascinating things happening and the way the character is being portrayed. Uh, and there's so many brilliant Magneto stories across time. Fabian Nicieza and Colin Bunn's stories rise right to the top for me. Uh, so uh, I hope you guys have all left listening to this with a different understanding of this very complicated villain slash hero character uh, who we all really love. Uh, as we are kind of closing out, feel free to share any final thoughts of, of what you learned today or something that's just going to kind of stick with you. Uh, and let me hear from each of you where people can find you online, what you might be working on that we have to look forward to. Uh, let's do uh, Tristan and then Hussein, please. You can find me online on Twitter on the Hell site at, uh, at Tristan Palmgren. You can also find my website at uh, tristanpalmgren.com. Um, I have a book about uh, some of the new X-Men um, coming out this May featuring uh, featuring Anoli and Elixir uh, in a uh, in a undersea um, uh, a, a, a mile undersea in a uh, in a base uh, constantly collapsing around them. Uh, and then I also have uh, coming out in August, uh, Squirrel Girl Universe, um, one of the most delightful characters I have ever worked with. Uh, Tristan also wrote Domino and Outlaw books that he, uh, they're just phenomenal. Please read them if you have not. They're Thank incredible. You. They, uh, and, and Tristan, anything that stuck with you today that you wanted to share or just uh, anything that's kind of uh, sticking with you as we finish up? I'm going to be wrestling with uh, with how we how we deal with canon and continuity for uh, for these characters for um, for a bit. Hussein. Uh, yeah, my name is Hussein Rashid, and you can find me on my website at Hussein, uh, which is HusseinRashid.com, and on Twitter uh, at Islamoyanke, I S L A M O Y A N K E E. Uh, I am not on any of the Zuck-owned properties because, damn, you want to talk about hell sites and uh, <laughs> and and places where people shouldn't exist. Um, and uh, check my website. You'll find out stuff that I'm writing. Guys, I don't know what I'm writing if I'm writing for the public until I publish it. And academic stuff is always popping up there. So. Uh, and, oh, and what did I take away? Yeah. Uh, you know, I came in thinking Magneto was right. I'm now thinking Magneto is right. So, you know, it's just an ongoing thing. Uh, Hussein and Jessica Baldanzi also have an incredible book out about Miss Marvel. Please order it. I've read it. Uh, Jessica's been on the podcast and Jessica and Hussein are coming back in a few weeks on the podcast. Uh, and we'll be talking Magneto during that book, uh, during that episode. So we'll, uh, we'll have a lot to say. Uh, uh Anthony, Chad, and our, uh, and our listeners can't hear, can't see, but Noel just popped up the book. So thank you, Noel, for buying the book and having it Andy. I've got it on my shelf over there. It's so good. Uh, and then Anthony, please go next. Uh, what did I learn? I, I feel like my the note I'm leaving on is like the pathetic-ness of Magneto's 60 plot 60s plots. Like, did anyone encounter a moment where he actually killed anybody? Like he's either very like going back to our first discussion, like he's either very bad at this or 
remarkably restrained, right? Like, uh, I can't think of too many villains from this period who don't even casually rack up a body count. Um, and I just, it makes me sad to think about like all these kind of desperate attempts to mutate more mutants. Uh, that's what I think I'm going away with. Uh, and thank you everybody for these insights from however much you were cajoled into prosecuting or defending. Um, where can people find me? I'm Mia Koopa online, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A, bad Latin joke. Um, I have something I'm working on for Marvel that I don't believe we have announced yet. So I can't say anything about that, but uh, I've got some old comics. If you want to check them out, you can probably find them in the back issue bins or on X-Men Unlimited. Uh, Marvel if there's Unlimited. anything I can persuade anybody, any listener who hasn't already read the, the Marvel's Pride comic to, uh, <laughs> oh. uh, to do, it's to read that comic. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very proud of that. I love writing this character. I would write Magneto until I was myself old and gray, if I could. And it's so great, but it pales in comparison to Hulkman and Wicked. Uh, your your Hulkman <laughs> Wicked book is so, so amazing. Uh, incredible. So read that as well. Uh, Justin. Hey, I'm Justin. I'm walking away with a lot of just feelings about the complexity of Magneto and 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 really the stuff that we, we vilify him for and, and talk about him as a uh, mustache twirling bad guy in the 60s eh, not that bad he's not that bad guy so was he ever really a villain i don't think so you know i could pull up a couple of things that xavier's done this much worse you can and find me call david holler let's give him a shout yeah, right see what exactly he <laughs> exactly you can find me all over the internet at the ex-wife podcast on facebook instagram twitter ex the ex-wife podcast.com that's t-h-e-x-w-i-f-e -E, like x-men not like former wife and we talk about the new books every friday and we recently had joshua Kassara, artist of x-force and 10 lives wolverine on the show and it was great uh justin and alicia are producing one of my very favorite personal podcasts and you both become very close well, I, I can't say close, but personal friends of mine. I adore, I, I adore the time we spent together. And thank it's you fun. for coming back and get it again. Yeah. Uh, and I could say the same to Noel with X-Men Unraveled, which is so delightful. Uh, Noel, please uh, uh, wrap it up for us. Yeah. So I'm Noel. Um, X-Men Unraveled is the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at X-Men Unraveled. And then my own Twitter is at L Unraveled, E-L-L-E -L -L -E, Unraveled. Uh, as far as what I'm taking away, I was honestly worried, uh, like when we first got the outlines of this, that I was going to read these issues and kind of walk away hating Magneto a little bit, because uh, he is one of my all-time favorites. But I, like you saying, I'm more just convinced that he is right. Uh, he always is always facing everything and protecting mutants and protecting his people. So I, I guess I'm just walking away with a pat on my back. That's uh, I'm okay that he's one of my favorites. And lastly, I am uh, Chad Anderson, host of Graham Malcolm Lane. Uh, I keep my own personal media, good, oh my Lord, my own personal social media private because I've got kiddos, but you can find me and chat with me on Instagram at Graham Malcolm Lane or Twitter at Graham Malcolm P, P like podcast. Uh, it's hard to know when this episode is going to come out in between, but we have upcoming episodes featuring uh, Bob McLeod, who wrote or drew the original New Mutants, 
uh, as well as Jay Ferber, who's an incredible writer uh, from different spots across the X-Men line. Uh, we are recording next uh, an interview with Rihanna Pratchett, who is just a fantastic hero of mine, and I can't wait to uh, to meet and interact with her. Uh, we've got more trials coming up. I always announce the next trial at the end of this one. So next month in uh, April, we will be doing the trial of uh, Fred Dukes, the blob, and it's been really fun. I'm putting a lot of work into this research, and I am so thankful for the generosity of our guests and our listeners. Uh, so thank you all for being here, spending your Sunday afternoon with me. What an absolute honor to nerd out with each of you. Uh, thank you, everybody. Have a beautiful evening, and we'll see you back next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Graymalk and Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Graymalk and Lane can be found on Twitter at Graymalk and P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Graymalk and Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Graymalk and Lane. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.